Well, good morning, everyone. Ooh, that was a good response. I appreciate that. Uh, good morning and welcome to Calvary. Whether you are here in the uh, worship center at Golden Valley or you are watching from the chapel or from our Minnetonka campus, uh, we are just so glad that you've chosen to worship with us today. Uh, my name is Caitlin Mapes and maybe you've seen me around on Sunday mornings or on uh, Wednesday nights if you've been attending our community nights at Golden Valley. Uh, but I work with the high school students and I tell them most weeks, probably every single week, uh, that I think it's the best job in the whole entire world because I get paid to hang out with them and talk about Jesus. And that is what I'm going to do this morning. I'm going to talk about Jesus. Uh, but before we dive into that uh, this morning, I just want to take a second and highlight something really, really cool uh, about our high school students and our youth program uh, because I'm the high school director and I'm preaching this morning, so I can. Uh, but something Something really cool uh, I've seen over the last year is that our students, uh, the high school group that I work with and our Minnetonka youth group especially, uh, they've been inviting their friends to come on Wednesday nights. And that might seem really simple, uh, but it's really exciting to me uh, because it shows that our students are experiencing something real at youth group and they want their friends uh, to experience that same thing. And so they are taking that next step and they are inviting them. And because of that, we've seen growth and we've seen more and more students experiencing hope in Jesus and finding belonging at our church. I know, let's, let's give some snaps for that, that's awesome. And I tell you this, I tell you this because one, I think it's very exciting and I love talking about it. Um, but two, I think that us adults uh, can learn from these students when it comes to inviting people to experience Jesus here at Calvary. And at Calvary, we believe that everyone has a next step that they can take in their faith. And studies show that Christmas is the number one most likely time that an unchurched person or somebody who doesn't go to church regularly would say yes to an invitation to church. And during this season, this Christmas season, when we put so much emphasis on hope, it might be the perfect time to invite someone, someone in your life who needs to experience hope and belonging. And so maybe for you uh, this season, a next step that you can take is to invite somebody to one of our Christmas Eve or Christmas Day services. And uh, we have all of those service times listed in our website, uh, so make sure that you check that out. Uh, but as a church, uh, we wanted to be intentional with what we are talking about on Sunday morning as we're heading into Advent um, and into this Christmas season, uh, because we know that Christmas can be a very exciting time for people, uh, but it can also be a difficult time. And if you know anything about me, our students in the room, uh, you know that I am 
the kind of person who gets very excited about Christmas. Um, and if it were up to me, if it were just up to me, uh, my house would be fully decorated on November 1st. Anybody else in the room with me? Okay, I see like two. That's great. That's better than first service. There was one. Um, I, I also asked my high school students uh, that on the Wednesday after Halloween, um, and they, nobody agreed with me, and they just roasted me, uh, which was great. Um, but I am not, not going to apologize for for being excited about Christmas and for decorating because daylight savings time makes it dark at like 4.30. And so to help me cope with that, I choose to decorate as early as my husband, Jeffrey, will let me. Uh, and the only reason that our tree was up before Thanksgiving was because it snowed, uh, but now all the snow's gone, so that's great. Um, but a few of you have asked me or have been asking me um, how house renovations are going. And so here's a little update. We are all decorating decorated for Christmas, and very exciting, uh, we got a dog at the beginning of last year, and so it's Twyla's first Christmas, and I'm very excited about that, I know, and she needed her own ornament for our tree, and so I got her an ornament that looks like her so that she feels represented, um, but it's very exciting, it's a very exciting time in the Mapes household, uh, but in all of my excitement about Christmas, I also know that there are people in my life who are struggling with this season. And maybe for you, uh, this is the first Christmas that you're experiencing without a loved one. Or maybe this season increases anxiety for you about finances with all of this Christmas spending or anxiety about the, the really fun conversations that get brought up at family Christmas. And maybe you just came out of Thanksgiving really frustrated uh, with your family because of that. Or maybe it's difficult for you to find joy in the Christmas season because as everybody else around you is excited and is filled with hope, you are experiencing loneliness, or you're struggling with your mental health, or you're still coping with loss. And those very real things that we go through, maybe what we've gone through in the past, or maybe what we are coping with now, those things can often overshadow the joy that we're invited into during Christmas. And those things can take our attitudes and our focus captive as we head into what's supposed to be this joy-filled season. And so over the next few weeks, uh, we're going to be looking at opportunities that we all have to look inward and to seek freedom from pain or insecurities in order to fully experience uh, the joy that the birth of Jesus offers us. And so this week, uh, we are going to be talking through what it means and what it looks like to overcome offenses, overcome offenses, or overcome the things that we can't control that have been done to us, and move toward forgiving those people in our lives who have offended us. And I think that there are different layers uh, to that idea that we will unpack kind of as we go this morning. But if we all thought about it for a moment, we could all probably identify somebody uh, in our lives who we think is very easily offended, somebody who we would never call them out uh, for being easily offended because that would uh, offend them. Uh, but I think way back to 
the Starbucks cup fiasco of 2015. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I was in college at the time, and so Starbucks kept me going, kept me awake, got me through uh, my, my college experience. But way back in 2015, Starbucks released their holiday cup, which I promise is a big deal every single year. Doesn't sound like it, but it is. And this year, in 2015, Starbucks said they wanted to simplify their design and put all of their creative energy into different things uh, this holiday season. And so the design that Starbucks went with was just a plain red cup. So simple. Love it. No words, no artwork. And that seemed to offend a lot of people uh, because the cup didn't include any reference to Christmas. And so people started making all sorts of assumptions about the company and where they stood politically. And these people were so offended that you couldn't scroll through social media without seeing some negative post about this cup. And I remember this being a big deal the entire Christmas season that year. And I remember wondering why people were spending so much time and so much energy being offended about this cup, this thing that didn't really matter. And I think that most of us can look at situations like that and we can agree that it's not worth it to hold on to those kinds of offenses. But what about the other kinds of offenses? I know that some of us uh, in this room have experienced betrayal, and we've experienced deep pain caused by others. And so what does it look like to let go of those deeper offenses, the things that others have done to us that we can't control, and the things that have hurt us to our core? And what are the steps that we need to take as followers of Jesus in order to truly forgive someone? And what does it look like for us to let go of those offenses and find that true healing that Jesus invites us to? I think the first step uh, in this process looks like acknowledging the offense. See, accepting that we have been wronged can actually put us in a better position to forgive. And I believe we see this key idea in scripture that acknowledging the offense lays the groundwork for forgiveness. Acknowledging the offense lays the groundwork for forgiveness. So if you have your Bibles with you uh, this morning, or if you have the app downloaded on your phones, you can open up to Proverbs chapter 19, and we'll be looking at verse 11 Uh, this morning. And we'll actually be looking at a few other places in scripture as well. But I think that this verse, not only does it set the tone for what our response to offenses should be, uh, but it gives us clarity on how we can take steps to move forward or steps toward forgiveness. And so Proverbs 19, 11 says this, a person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. We can actually keep that verse up uh, for the next few moments. But this passage lays it out pretty clearly, right? That we benefit from overlooking offenses. And that this is the ideal posture that we should take 
as followers of Jesus. And I want us to uh, focus on the word overlook for a moment. Because if we miss the true interpretation of that word or the true definition of that word, then we miss out on a key truth about forgiveness. So when this book or this passage uh, was translated from the Hebrew language into an English translation, there were actually two Hebrew words that were translated into our English word overlook. And those Hebrew words when translated mean to pass over, to pass over. And so if we place that translation back into the verse, we see this. It is to one's glory to pass over in offense. It is to one's glory to pass over in offense. And that language, that little shift, provides us with what overlooking an offense, what that looks like in action. See, when we overlook an offense, which this verse again says benefits us, it does not mean, does not mean that we are dismissing it altogether. I think too often we associate uh, forgiveness with just forgetting. It's like that popular phrase, forgive and forget. Uh, But that's not what this word, overlook or pass over, that's not what that word or this passage means. Because when we pass over something, we're not saying that nothing ever happened because something needs to be there in order for us to pass over it, right? So when we pass over offenses, we are actively acknowledging the offense. And we're acknowledging that we have been wronged. And that in and of itself has the power to move us from staying in that offended mentality to showing grace. Uh, When I think about that in my own life, I think about uh, the difference between saying I forgive you versus it's okay, right? And I have this friend who actually won't accept that second response, it's okay. Either if I'm offering an apology to her or she's accepting one uh, from me or vice versa, and she'll actually respond with, you know what, actually it wasn't okay. And that used to very much annoy me. (laughs) Because sitting in that moment with her is uncomfortable. Because it's easier to just pretend like nothing happened and just to move on, right? But that's not what actually benefits us in our relationships. What benefits us is laid out for us in that Proverbs verse, passing over or overlooking the offense. And so when we respond with, I forgive you, what are we doing? We're actively doing that, right? We are actively acknowledging that something needs to be forgiven. And that lays the groundwork for us to show grace through forgiveness. And so acknowledging the offense lays the groundwork for forgiveness. And so as followers of Jesus, uh, we are called to overlook offenses and that happens through acknowledging the offense itself. And that then lays the groundwork for us to come in and show grace. And sometimes it takes work to just acknowledge that we've been offended, right? But it also takes work for us to then take that next step and show that person grace. Maybe we think the offense is too great or we've been offended too deeply or they've done it too many times. And so we believe that person doesn't deserve 
forgiveness. And I'm going to be real with all of you. I think that is a very human response to the hurt that we experience from others. And the question of who deserves forgiveness is one that people have been asking for a very long time. And if we turn in our Bibles uh, to Matthew chapter 18, we see the disciples asking Jesus a very similar question. So Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 21, it says this. And then Peter came up to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. And therefore, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars and he couldn't pay. And so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife his children, and everything he owed to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. And then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. And he grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. And his fellow servant fell down before him and begged for just a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it all, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. And they went to the king and told him everything that had happened. And the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? And I don't know about you, but that's really convicting for me. And maybe it should be. And the first time I read that passage with forgiveness in mind, I remember thinking, you know what? It's not that simple. Uh, What about the things that seem unforgivable? Or what if the person who hurt us doesn't seem sorry or doesn't offer us an apology like the servant in that passage? Maybe you're sitting there and you are feeling that same tension. But when we read through this passage, we see that Jesus is trying to explain to his disciples that giving grace to people, giving grace to people when we feel like they don't deserve it seems unfair, but it's supposed to feel that way. It's supposed to feel that way because that's the nature of God's grace to us. That God's grace is unfair. And Jesus was pointing them to the biggest example of grace that was about to happen through his own death on the cross. Romans 5, 8 says that even when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Even though we didn't deserve it, Christ died for us. And that is not fair. But it being unfair displays just 
how powerful it is. Uh, a recent example that I couldn't get out of my head when I was sitting with that parable is one that is really hard for me uh, to imagine for many reasons. Uh, but in 2019, around this time, uh, a story came out in the news about a, a man named Brant Jean, who, because of a horrible mistake, uh, witnessed his older brother being wrongfully shot to death in their own apartment by a police officer. And I know there's a lot of political tension surrounding stories like these, and there are so many different ways that Brant Jean could have responded or maybe deserved to respond to that former police officer. But in the courtroom, he said that something changed in him after he heard this former police officer ask for forgiveness. And he not only forgave her, but he got up from his seat and he went to her and he hugged her for over a minute as she cried and as she apologized over and over, begging him to forgive her. And these kinds of stories, they stick with us because that kind of response is powerful because it's unexpected and it's undeserved. It's expected that he would want the worst kind of sentence for her and many of us probably wouldn't blame him for that. But when people respond in a way that's unexpected or in a way that doesn't seem fair, it leaves an impact. In that moment, Branch John extended unfair grace to that former officer, showed her God's unfair grace. And we can only hope that it impacted her the way that it impacted everyone in that courtroom and everyone who heard about that story. And again, that kind of response is one that is deeply rooted in God's grace. And the response that Jesus gives to his disciples in Matthew 18 is the same response that we are called to consider when it comes to forgiveness. Because fully accepting God's grace in our own lives looks like extending grace to others. Fully accepting God's grace in our own lives looks like extending grace to others. See, it doesn't match up. It doesn't match up if we choose to receive God's grace in our own lives, but we hesitate to overlook offenses in our relationships. And if we are hesitant to forgive, we need to remember our own need for grace because that puts things into perspective. Now, I want to pause uh, for a second. I want to pause for a second because I know uh, that in this conversation about forgiveness, and overlooking offenses, this passage, and even the idea that we uh, just talked about has been used in manipulative ways in order to keep people in abusive situations. And I wanna make a distinction uh, between what Jesus is pushing his disciples and us to consider and that unfortunate, heartbreaking reality. Because that doesn't match up either. And that's not the purpose of this passage. And I really don't think, 
I really don't think that God would call us to extend grace to others if that meant continuing to put ourselves in an unsafe or a harmful or dangerous situation. Because God is the kind of God who desires freedom for his people. But in the situations where we hold on to offenses, big or small, and we refuse to move forward because we either don't know how, or maybe it's become such a huge part of us that we're afraid to move forward, or because we are having a hard time understanding God's grace, God invites us to forgive. Because again, he is the kind of God who desires freedom for his people, and there is freedom in forgiveness. There is freedom in forgiveness. When we hold on to the ways that people have hurt us, we are allowing those situations to have way too much power over us, over how we live, over how we think about ourselves or our future. And choosing not to forgive takes up a ton of energy. I remember when I was in college, I went through a season where I had a really hard time forgiving someone who had really betrayed me. And even after that friendship ended, I was really hurt, but I I thought that I was doing everything in my power to try and move on. I spent time uh, diving into new hobbies to try to take my mind off of what happened. I even started working out, which is not uh, in my character at all. And I spent more time with my friends, and I did whatever I could to distract myself. But I still held on to those feelings of anger and betrayal. And I remember telling a close friend about all the ways I was making changes and trying to move forward and how it still didn't feel like it was enough. And the best friends that you can have are the ones that call you out, right? And she totally did that uh, for me in this moment by asking me a question that I really didn't want to be asked. Had I forgiven him? Had I forgiven him? And I realized in that moment that I was doing everything in my power except that. And I wasn't experiencing freedom from my situation and all the emotions that followed because I was holding on to this grudge that I had against him. And part of me didn't want to forgive, but unless I acknowledged the offense and did the work to show this person God's grace, I would continue to live my life burdened by the situation. But in forgiving this person, which took a ton of work, I discovered a life that wasn't held back by constant comparison or what could have been or questioning. But I instead found freedom to focus more on what God wanted for my life now. Something that I love pointing out to my high school students is how intentional God is. And how when he calls us to follow his commands, there's usually a really good reason why. Something that not only brings God glory, but also benefits us as people. And I believe that we see that in Jesus' call for us to forgive. Studies have shown that choosing to forgive has a direct effect on things like mental health or anxiety, depression, as well as physical health, the things that can be affected by anger, like our blood pressure. And the reason that change happens 
is because there's a shift in our mental state that takes place when we choose to forgive. Where we are actively choosing not to allow that offense to dictate how we see ourselves or how we see the person who hurt us. But instead, we surrender that power to Jesus. And we trust that God is working. Church, there is freedom in forgiveness, and we can take steps toward forgiveness by acknowledging the offense and recognizing the pain that it's caused us. By understanding our own need for God's unfair grace and extending that same grace to others so they can experience God's goodness. And it would be so unfortunate. It would be so unfortunate if we entered into this holiday season held back from fully experiencing the hope that this season offers us through the birth of Jesus. And it would be even more unfortunate if we entered into this holiday season holding too tightly to the ways people have hurt us, that it holds us back from showing them the power of God's grace. The process of forgiveness can be difficult and it can take work, but God also lays out his promises every step of the way. A promise that he is present with us and that he is faithful. And as we do the work to acknowledge the offense and recognize God's unfair grace in our own lives, we will experience a new kind of freedom through forgiveness. At Calvary, we say all the time that everyone has a next step that they can take the next step in our faith and how we live that out. And maybe for you, God is calling you to forgive someone in your own life who has hurt you so that you can experience freedom. And maybe for you, taking steps toward that looks like going to therapy to help you get to a place where you can properly acknowledge the offense and unpack how that has impacted you. Or maybe for you, it looks like first trusting that God has a plan for the hurt that you've gone through. Or maybe for many of us, it looks like fully embracing God's grace by extending that grace to others, even when it seems unfair. Wherever we are at, whatever steps we can take toward forgiveness, we can trust that there is freedom waiting for us when we forgive. Will you pray with me? God, we just thank you that you are a God who wants to set us free. God, we thank you for this season and what the birth of Jesus shows us. God, that you are always inviting us to experience that freedom. God, I pray for all of us in this room who are struggling to experience freedom when it comes to forgiveness. God, I pray that you would walk with us. That you would walk us through whatever we're experiencing, whatever, whatever is holding us back. God, you would remind us of your promises. God, that you would move us to act like you. To be followers 
of you and live that out in our own lives. God, again, we thank you for the kind of God that you are one who is loving, who invites us into freedom and forgiveness. God, bless us as we go. In your name I pray. Amen.